Welcome to the sound of the start of your weekend. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast and it's sponsored by Betfair. When does a Thursday sound like a Monday? When it's flip reverse week on NTT 20. <laughs> we did a betting show on Monday ahead of the midweek slate. Uh, George, as you will know, did well there. I did not do well there. Uh, and now a midweek roundup in Monday pod style. This is a bit different, isn't it, George? How are you? I'm good, mate. It kind of feels like a Monday, weirdly. Maybe our journey to Grimsby midweek has taken a bit out of me. Uh, a lot of driving, so I'm feeling quite monday What would you say are the key features of feeling monday A bit tired. Quite, I don't know, really, just tired. Tired is the one for me, Mondays. Mondays are tired days. Wow. Well, it's a treat to be hitting record with you then because um, <laughs> we've got a lot to get through. Uh, a brilliant slate of midweek fixtures loads of things to talk about just a word on the midweek EFL tributes and memorials to the Queen after her death at the end of last week George we joined those at Grimsby Gillingham uh, in observing first a minute silence before kickoff uh, which was impeccably observed uh, famously the only time the word impeccably gets used in football parlance mm. more widely unless I've missed something as far as I've seen Everything was impeccably observed uh, across the midweek slate in the EFL. Uh, even those for whom doing so wasn't personally important, it feels like uh, there was a lot of respect shown. And, and I guess that's a kind of human respect for others that some people seemed worried would not come out. So that was really good. Um, it definitely throws into question the decision to cancel last weekend's games while other sports cracked on. But let's focus on the positives now. Let's mm. move forward now uh, with a midweek roundup. Let's start with, you know, you say you're feeling quite tired this morning, but you also sent me one of the most excited messages you've ever sent <laughs> about a goal from last night in the championship. Yes, I want to start the campaign right here, right now for Jack Clark, but mainly mainly Sunderland Football Club to win the Puskas Award this year because I've looked it up because I wanted to see the exact um, definition of the Puskas Award. The Puskas Award is in honour of Frank Puskas, of course, and is awarded to the male or female judged to have scored the most aesthetically significant or most beautiful goal of the calendar year. I read that after I'd sent you a message this morning saying how, and I used the word aesthetically beautiful, mm. that third goal from Sunderland last night was. You know, we're starting at the end here, reviewing a game where, where Sunderland beat Reading 3-0 in what was a totally and utterly dominant performance where they goals scored on the counter-attack um, were the main part of it, but Reading offered very little. Um, Ellis Sims was injured kind of midway through the first half and was replaced by Elliot Embleton in what was a bit of a masterstroke from, from Tony Mowbray um, because it meant that they had Embleton, Roberts, who scored twice, and Clark. But the the Clark, I mean, the, the first Roberts goal is, is a, a lovely counter-attacking goal and on a normal day would be a, a very good example of you know, springing a high line, getting in behind and a nice finish from wide. The Clark goal is a thing of absolute beauty. If you, as someone who listens to this podcast, but you don't often go back and watch highlights of games you, you don't care about, please just go and watch it because it's one of those passing moves that starts with the goalkeeper rolling it out about a yard to a centre-back. And then from there, it must be seven or eight touches to the goal itself. I mean, it's intricate passing play. It's death flicks. It's Dan Neal on the right-hand side, swinging in a beautifully timed ball to Jack Clark. And the best thing about this goal is that not only is the move from goalkeeper to Clark sumptuous, flowing, attacking football, 
but Clark then ha- takes one of the greatest first touches um, to get away from his man before slotting into the back of the net as well. It is a goal that has every single part of beauty, both in terms of the way it looks visually, it being pretty unique in the way that it is scored, it being not just a, a brilliant counter-attack, but also a great touch and finish as well. I am in love with this goal. We have seen the goal of the season in the EFL already, and I think we should see that being noted by the men at FIFA. It's, it's something that I'm going to be watching a lot over, over the coming weeks. And, and he meant that first touch as well, unlike Burkamp yeah. against Newcastle. <laughs> no Ross Stewart, who's out injured at the moment. And then Ellis Sims, the only other recognised striker in their squad, comes off injured after 30 minutes at nil-nil. Then it was pure moggable. Uh, if anyone knows much about the NBA or has watched any NBA basketball over the last what 10 years. It reminded me a lot of the small ball approach that was popularized. I don't know, maybe eight, seven, eight years ago where teams decided they didn't need a big man, you know, defending the bucket dunking. They didn't need a center. They just needed a load of technical quality players who could shoot from distance. And uh, this is the equivalent, really just loads of wonderful technicians on the pitch at one time, Dan Neal, Embleton, Pritchard, Patrick Roberts and, and Clark as well. And, you know, there are going to be times where I don't think that approach or those personnel will be suited to the game. But that this was not it. Uh, inventive, skillful players doing inventive, skillful things. And Patrick Roberts, uh, with his first two goals, showing exactly what people mean when they say things like, if this guy can just find a home, get the confidence back that he showed as a young star. That's what they say about Patrick Roberts, who was such a star of youth football, wasn't he? And that's why, that's what he can do. And I guess the same can be said for Jack Clark as well. You know, I'm going to be honest and admit some mistakes of mine on a few fronts on this pod. Um, Last season, I wasn't as big a fan as some people when it came to Jack Clark. I, I felt a little like his reputation from a spell at Leeds United four years ago, where he only started four league games and did most of his damage off the bench, running at tired defences after the Bielsa press had, had done the damage. Um, I felt like that was that was still being held up as you know more evidence than than hype, so to speak. Uh, and I felt last season there were times I thought he was a little bit one-dimensional. I think was the word I used. But this season, having signed permanently for Sunderland, nine games in, we've seen good delivery, we've seen goal threat, we've seen him go down the left side as well. So that one-dimensional uh, jibe certainly doesn't ring true. We've seen versatility playing in a wing-back role, which obviously demands a lot more from a young player than a, than a sort of out-and-out winger's role. So three dimensions, maybe even four, I'm seeing with Jack Clark, and, it, and it's brilliant. Um, Sunderland laid down a pretty strong fee for championship level, a four-year deal for him as well. It was a big investment, big show of intent. Uh, it could be, end up being a very, very smart one. So great night for them. I sort of don't want to focus too much on their league position right now. They're, they're in a great spot, but there's only six points between third and 22nd in the championship at this early <laughs> stage. But clearly a great start to the season. I think most importantly for me, the transition since Mowbray took over has been pretty smooth from what I've seen, which is all you want after you know what was quite a dramatic managerial departure. George, there's so much to, to do from last night. Um, how about... Norwich 3, Bristol City 2. My only note here is pleasingly high scoring, this one. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good game. Um, Good game between two sides who have a lot of attacking talent in their side. Um, I tipped up over two and a half from both teams to score on the betting show, uh, which um, obviously was was, was done by halftime. I mean, for Bristol City, it was... uh, You know, it was the old Bristol City rearing its head again, sadly. Um, Yes, they scored... Two goals, uh, Tommy Conway and Naki Wells' partnership is very exciting. Um, and again, 
you know, Antoine Semenya came off the bench and scored. They have four players who are very, very good championship attacking players in Wales, Conway, Semenya and Weiman. And that's a really strong position to be in. And I, I don't think um, Bristol City's scoring prowess is going to go anywhere as long as those four are in rotation. But defensively, um, all three goals were very, very poor to concede. Um, you know, Kanye Smith with a bit of an air shot for, for, for Pukki's first. Um, they were cut open so easily for Pukki's second. Um, and even though Pukki is, of course, a very good player, one-on-one, um, you know, for him to get on the ball uh, in the middle third and be able to scamper uh, through one-on-one kind of unchallenged was, wasn't was ideal. And then, you know, conceding a, a Josh Sargent stooping header um, from a corner as well is is, is poor. So um, defensive frailties exposed by a decent Norwich side um, in what was an end-to-end game. Um, impressive that Bristol City were able to wrestle themselves back into the game from from 2-1 down. Um, I think they'll be, even though it, it ended in a goal, um, Bristol City have this ridiculous penalty record um, at the moment where they basically never are awarded penalties. Um, looking at on, on transfer marked now, um, they're... Um, their total, I mean, they obviously haven't, haven't received a penalty so far this season. Uh, last season, they were uh, awarded just the one. And the season before that, um, I think it was just one as well, uh, two. So they only had three penalties in the last two and a bit, se- two and a bit seasons. And they very nearly got one. <laughs> uh, before, if many hadn't rolled at home, I'm pretty sure they would have um, had a chance from the spot to, to score that. Uh, a weird EFL quirk. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was... Is it a quirk or is it a huge conspiracy against... Quirk. I think it's a quirk. Wow. Yeah, personally, um, mm. but yeah, I think it, it's it's a big it's a big result for Norwich. Um, their home games haven't been particularly testing so far this season since the, the Wigan draw, um, and they uh, found a way to win against a side with a lot of attacking threat. And for Bristol City, there'll be massive frustrations about their uh, issues defensively on the day. But again, they they proved themselves to be a really good attacking side. Mm. Norwich have won six in a row now. Something, isn't it? Seriously, something. Uh, West Brom 2, Birmingham 3. Another 3-2. This one, incredible, really. A a Scott Hogan hat-trick to beat West Brom for Birmingham. The second goal here was a thing of counter-attacking beauty. Mm. Troy Deeney clipping a lovely ball into space for the onrushing Bakuna to run in behind. And then with his weaker foot, great vision and execution to roll it across for Hogan to run on and, and smash home. Ryan Deeney, who's the Birmingham fan on NTT 20 squad, described it as the kind of goal Birmingham City just do not score. I think I probably was feeling that as well when I watched it. It was a, uh, it was a surprise and delight, I would say, watching that. Um, but Hogan, with a very well-taken hat-trick, uh, at 3-2, it was backs to the wall, as you might expect. A trusty clear one off the line. Dian Garner had a chance. Swift had a chance. A lot of crosses. Uh, most of them headed or booted away by Birmingham players and a huge win for them and for their fans, of course. Uh, you know, I said on the betting show, Birmingham had played eight games before this and two of them were disastrous performances. Rotherham away, Cardiff away, really, really poor. But the rest had ranged from fine to very good, I'd say. And, and now this on top of that makes me feel um, pretty positive, quite impressed with the first nine games, league games of John Eustace's reign. Now, Bielik and Chong look like they've given an immediate upgrade to this first 11. That's really exciting. Let's hope they can stay fit. It's obviously not the deepest squad. Well, it's probably the thinnest squad in actual fact in the whole league. And that is an area for concern. But, but you have to be pretty impressed. Um, we had Birmingham and Reading, bottom two. 
comfortably bottom two in our heads, I think, in the one to twenty fours, and and so far both of them exceeding expectations. With West Brom, I'm going to be honest, George, and say I don't exactly know how to explain this start. Uh, it's one win in nine games. I'm struggling to allocate sort of reasoning between players performing badly, bad luck, mistakes, and then the manager Steve Bruce and you know poor tactics, poor decisions on his front because. I'd say instinctively I'd look at Bruce. But when I watch this team, and, and bear in mind I didn't watch this game live last night, for the most part I have thought they've looked pretty good and certainly better than Bruce's Aston Villa side that I was pretty underwhelmed by. So can you go any way to explaining what's happening at West Brom so far this season? I think it's tough. Um, you know, we've spoken before on the on the messaging show about how, you know, if you're looking at the data side of things, they are um, projecting very well. I think after how many games is it now? Is it eight games? Um I think a big part of that, or nine games, is it for them? Um, yeah, nine. Um, they won one of those games, drawn six and lost two. So <clears throat> they beat the one game they won was a 5-2 win against Hull. I think a big part of the, the reason why they'll be projecting fairly high in, in terms of the data is, is because of game state, because they have been ahead so little in games so far this season, which is in itself going to skew the the data um, compared to a you know a Sheffield United or, or a Norwich who have been ahead for countless more minutes. So... That will be part of it. But having said that, I do think they've probably been slightly unlucky that they've been on the receiving end of, well, I think a lot of those draws, probably they deserved a win out of those games. Um, the the Watford game in particular sticks out in the memory, although yeah. they were a penalty save away from losing that game as well. So yeah, it, it's hard to put your finger on. And I agree with you that I myself, am, I'm not a fan of Steve Bruce. If I was in charge of of making decisions and managerial appointments in the championship, um, Bruce would be pretty near the bottom of of, of my uh, chosen candidates. But in my opinion, it feels hard to point the blame squarely at him um, because we have seen enough in their performances to suggest that he's getting a tune out of some players. Um, you know, I think yesterday it was a couple of quality moments that undid them, uh, moments we haven't necessarily seen Birmingham create so far. It wouldn't surprise me a great deal if if Steve Bruce was no longer the West Brom manager fairly soon. Um, normally, I would be supporting that decision, but on this rare occasion, it feels like it might be a little bit harsh. Do you want to take Millwall nil QPR two or rampant Rotherham three Blackpool nil? Um, I'll take rampant Rotherham three Blackpool nil um, because this was impressive from 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 Rotherham. Um, mm. You know, a, a side where. And quite often, you, you look at sides towards the, you know who are expected to be towards the bottom end, and you think that their their victories are, are fairly smash and grab. But that wasn't the case here. Um, they were dominant throughout Blackpool, who have been fairly good so far this season. Couldn't create a great deal, you know. I know um, Kenny Duva went close with a long range strike, but for the most part, this was Rotherham um, from, from 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 start to finish. Ogbené scoring from a, a wood knocked down, um, and then the uh, I actually really enjoyed. Georgie Kelly's finish really mm. tough. A, a shot, a shot spilled by Grimshaw. Kelly running across it, managed to kind of stick it into the, the far corner. Um, it's great for Rotherham. It, it feels like a bit of a continuation from the Rotherham that we saw two years ago, except they're getting the results they deserve rather than coming off on the on the receiving end. Um, and they they're making you know, their home their home form and their home performances are, are really good. It's a very difficult place to go. Um, their home form so far in the Championship reads played five uh, one three drawn two and those three wins have come uh, 4-0, 2-0 and 3-0 against um, teams who we probably anticipate will be around them for relegation in Reading, Birmingham and, and Blackpool. Mm. Uh, I'm going to say something that on the face of it sounds confusing. That is Richard Wood is one of the best attacking players in the championship. 
so far this season. Uh, four goals, <laughs> assists last night. Had a good chance as well, didn't he? Uh, 0.71 goals and assists per 90 for the centre-back, Richard Wood. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just one part of a brilliant start to the season. I, I do think overall, they don't look massively different. And I don't mean that in a negative way. They're playing like Rotherham play under Paul Warren, but compared to last time in the championship, they just seem to have improved finally in both boxes. Uh, they are, for some reason, taking their chances way better than they did two years ago. And they're avoiding sort of sloppy concessions where they switch off, where someone makes a mistake. Um, so far, so good. Just the one defeat in eight games for, for Rotherham. Uh, Millwall, nil QPR two. And it was uh, Illy and Willy, as the QPR fans are calling them. Ilias Chair and Chris Willock. Um, chair with, with two assists, albeit he didn't have to do much for either of them. Uh, the first one was all about uh, an unerringly accurate Willock finish from 20-odd yards. How many times have we seen that before? Uh, and the second goal, I reckon, might be the one that Gary Rowett hates conceding the most this season and possibly in his whole Millwall reign so far. Uh, a corner won by QPR. The Millwall players completely switching off as they sort of set up their defensive structure. Uh, Chair just passing it three yards inside to, to Johansson, who ran into the box, um, dummied inside a, a defender's despairing dive and then smashed in for 2-0. So, uh, route fuming, QPR, clever, smart, impish, Ilias Chair all over. Um, they are one of many teams, QPR, where nine games in, I've seen some good stuff. I've seen a few performances that were under par. And I just still don't really know how I think it will all shake out. And that's exciting to me personally, as a championship observer, there's a lot of teams like this. Um, are QPR going to be pure championship seeded batch, which looks like it could be bigger than ever this year, or might they keep improving, you know, under the well-regarded, but inexperienced Mick Bill. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing a uh, big managerial news in the championship was uh, off the back of Huddersfield one Wigan two. George, let's start with that. Danny Schofield sacked by Huddersfield they are in a position where they have picked up four points from eight games, one win, one draw, six defeats. Uh, what did he make of the sacking of Danny Schofield? I'm quite sorry for Danny Schofield, to be honest. Um, it, it, it seemed like a totally bizarre decision to, to hand in the keys after Carlos Corbran left. Um, the appointment of Corbran himself was a risk that paid off. You know, he was a guy who's, who'd, who'd worked at Leeds both, both prior to Marcelo Bielsa and then, and then with him as well. Um, but at least you were, you know, you were going after somebody who, um, you know, who, who'd, who'd worked under someone who you knew was going to be fairly influential. With Schofield, you know, he clearly had a reputation at the club for being a bright coach, but off the back of, you know, Carlos Corbran took over off the back of, uh, at a time where, where expectations were pretty low. Um, to go and appoint Danny Schofield when he'd been 90 minutes away from from getting into the Premier League was was. I don't really understand what he was meant to do. I, I, I'm, I'm confused. He lost basically all of his best players. Um, Levi Colwell going back after his loan spell. Um, Toffolo and O'Brien, clearly. You know, you're looking at Sorba Thomas being the only player that I would say is, is real, of, of real quality. Um, you know, I know Danny Ward had a, had a great season last season, but it was a bit of an outlier in terms of his, his career so far. So I feel sorry for him that he's he's been given the boot after eight games. It, it feels pretty inevitable. Um, it, it felt like to me it was a a cost cutting, um, money saving appointment. Um, and they, I don't know what else they really expected. Um, if they if they were looking to make an, an innovative appointment, 
um, surely the time to do it was the summer. Um, you know, David Wagner has been been linked heavily. Um, the longer time goes on, the more it feels like that was just people putting two and two together and making five. Um, he is available, but his record since leaving Huddersfield, both Schalke and Young Boys, leaves a fair bit to be desired, to be honest. Um, and I would be, even though he did such an incredible job the first time around, I'd be pretty hesitant if I was a Huddersfield fan. Seeing Stephen Schumacher linked this morning, um, in my view, I'd be pretty surprised if Schumacher took that job. I think he is at a at a club where you know it's being built for success and the support in terms of the recruitment that's there. Um, you know, it's easy to forget that he's Schumacher's under a year into his managerial um, uh, career so far, going to a, a club in Huddersfield where I'm not entirely sure they have the players necessary to to get themselves out of the, the relegation battle. Um, it's going to be very tough. So uh, the fact that they are looking at people like Schumacher suggests to me that they're doing this, they're recruiting quite smart because he doesn't have to be a, a bright young thing and is showing himself to be that at the moment. And it wouldn't surprise me if we saw maybe another League One or League Two manager um, or others being being linked to the job. But um, yeah, the, it, it does feel to me like after a period of, of building incredibly well, the management of Huddersfield Town Football Club since Carlos Corbrown walked out the door to today has been pretty catastrophic and, and pretty naive. Carlos Corbran had put together a 9.5 out of 10 managerial season. And and very few managers do that across the EFL in a campaign, a, a season as impressive as he did. And I just think I, it must be so difficult within a club because, of course, one person doesn't take all of the, the credit for an amazing season where everyone predicted a struggle and you end up, you know, a few decisions away from the Premier League. And I'm not even sure how you're meant to respond to losing that manager. But it does feel like they sort of slept walked a little bit into what has now transpired. And, and maybe that's outcome bias. I'm sure there's plenty at play here. But the recruitment in terms of playing personnel, the squad that they approached the season with under a, a rookie manager, it's very me playing football manager, to be honest with you. Um, David Kasumu... Jack Radoni, Tyree Simpson from the leagues below, uh, you know, they are good young players with room to grow. You're, you're betting on their potential, really, and you're hoping for some immediate output, but it's hard to bank on that. You sign Will Boyle on, on a risk-free free transfer. And if you're also signing Mbete and Helic on deadline day, that tells me that you're panicking a bit about the signing of Will Boyle. Mm. You sign Nakayama, you know, a nod to, to some... Creative overseas scouting seems to have been pretty good so far. And then a lot of talented Premier League loanees like Andrew and Kessler Hayden. It, it's all stuff that I think, as I say, it looks, it looks great on Football Manager. It's good fun. So far, I would say it doesn't look like what was needed for, for this campaign because I've seen a few people saying, you know, this squad shouldn't be down there. They made the playoffs last season. Well, I don't really agree with that. Mm. I think it's a bottom half squad with a lot of potential. Um, but bottom half squads can easily be relegation squads uh, because there's more than just squads on paper when it comes to it. Anyway, they lost to Wigan. Um, we looked at each other on Tuesday night and just said, Liam Richardson, eh? Because he just continues to do it. What it is, is 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 sometimes quite hard to put your finger on. What it definitely is, is, is results, tangible results. What it comes from is a mixture of good coaching, clearly excellent man management, trust in his players, who will do everything for him uh, and and 
keep grinding out results. Uh, amazing penalty from Will Will Keane, one of the best pens you'll see this season. Uh, and yeah, Huddersfield had chances. Ward from point blank, Rhodes off the bar. Jones had a shot well saved. And then Callum Lang on the turn shoots through a body or two, a kind of a low, not that powerful shot that somehow goes into the middle of the goal. So I certainly think Schofield will feel hard done by on a number of levels. One of them just purely about this match being a two undefeat because uh, it, it just, it, it was a bit ridiculous, but... Sometimes yeah, when the time is strong, it's hard to swim against it. On that land goal, it was one of those goals where it reminds me of of me playing five aside and how often I I hit shots exactly like that and they never go in. You know, dribbly centre of the goal shots that I never wrong for the keeper the way that Lang did. Uh, but I agree. I mean, that's another. You know, it kind of plays into what I was saying about Schofield earlier, where that wasn't a performance that necessitated being sacked in my in my point of view. Mm. Um, it was a result that might have done uh, off the back of the previous results, but. Yeah, there was nothing in that. That wasn't a, a performance from a team who um, were playing below the uh, the sum of their parts. In my in my point of view, mm. yeah, he's he's left. Wigan with a very strong start to the season. Uh, George, let's flip between us. Tell me about Middlesbrough two, Cardiff three. Uh, I reckon this might we'll be have the, to. the most unlikely <laughs> away end bedlam of the season so far. Not just one surprise goal to put them one nil up. Not two. But the third, in the manner it came, and G waltzing through to smash them three 0 up before halftime, um, magical stuff for Cardiff fans. Incredible for Cardiff fans. I mean, we, we have to point the finger at uh, the, the Middlesbrough backline. Um, you know, Matt Clark looked well off the pace early on in his um, his Borough career. A player that you know that I'm, I'm a big fan of, but um, you know he he was really done for pace a couple of times, and, and that left side channel. Um, or the right, the right channel for Cardiff was a source of, of a lot of joy. Um, a, a great hit from Harris for the for the second goal, but you have to wonder if if Liam Roberts, uh, who's come in now for Zach Stefan, should have done better with it. Uh, and Perry and G, as you say, just literally waltzing through the the Borough um, midfield uh, unchallenged after um, I think it was and uh, was and and then in the first sorry and then Housen, don't know what Housen was doing. Such a dependable Championship midfielder, a safe pair of, of feet, <laughs> getting on the ball. <laughs> turning back towards goal, failing to just lay the ball back to any of his defenders and, and the ball being taken off him and, and O'Dowd are scoring. Um, uh, Callum Robinson with a couple of assists, looking very sharp. This was Cardiff's best away performance of the season by a stretch. Um, but having said that, they only had six shots in the game, as you'd expect from 3-0 up. It was kind of a lot of Borough pressure, but Borough really struggled to create a great deal until Watmore and Munich both scored in a minute and we and you said here we go this is going to be um, the comeback is on 77 minutes gone 15 minutes to go uh, at the least and Cardiff kept Borough at arm's length it's been um, a shocking start to the season for Middlesbrough poor performances um, resulting in defeats good performances often not resulting in victories Uh, and as a Chris Wilder fan you know I would still say to anyone who's pointing the finger saying you know look however Rita Wilder is I would still say that um the jobs done over the best part of a decade at Oxford um Northampton and Sheffield United are, are far more significant than um an isolated and then at Middlesbrough last season as well are more significant than an isolated run of games um over the last six weeks um and, and I, I'm sure things will improve but I I do you know, more performances like that, especially at home, and um, you know his his position, his role at Middlesbrough is going to come under some some scrutiny. Mm. I lost three 0 at home to Stoke on Tuesday night. Uh, I'm going to start with another admission apology. Uh, I got Lewis Baker 
very wrong. More specifically, I got what I thought would happen when Lewis Baker signed for Stoke in January very wrong. There was a, a tweet that I, I sent. I'm not sure why I decided to send it after a few beers uh, on the day that he signed. Um, but it was about Lewis Baker being someone who's capable of sublime pieces of inventive and technical brilliance. But the goal in question that had been shared was from an under-21 Chelsea match in 2014. And I think my point was, that's a long time ago. And I said it was hard to imagine him starting a ton of games straight away, given his record with injuries. But if he does, it could be special. Well, he has started a ton of games and has shown since quality, consistency, that until he joined Stoke, I think it had always been mostly hinted at, but never definitively showed. Uh, he's played every minute of every game this season. He's their best player. He's one of the best players in the league. Injury issues gone, any issues of motivation, or whether it was the case of too many loans and needing a home, all that's gone now. What we're left with is, is a hell of a player. Um, so it's really good to see. He scored two goals here. One of them was a deflected free kick to get them ahead. Uh, the third goal was an absolute beauty. Man of the match, uh, man of the season so far for Stoke, a, a bright spot in what hasn't been a great time. I mean, the result is is a high point in the season so far. A pleasant surprise when I saw this after the Reading game, their last away game, where I thought they were very, very poor. Um, if I was going to get carried away, I'd say, I'd say Alex Neal just needed, you know, a weekend off where he could work on, on the training pitch. In reality, they scored a deflected free kick goal to go ahead, then a set play goal where Wilmot's looking very dangerous at the moment. Uh, and I think, you know, more evidence needed that, that there's loads of corners being mm. turned, but um, still a bit a big win for them. And clearly very important to have time and back. I think he just makes such a big difference to the fluidity of their attacks um, when they've got a, a natural lefty on the left side. So big win for Stoke away at Hull, 3-0 winners. Uh, big win for our league leaders, Sheffield United. George, they scored a late, late winner at Swansea who just keep conceding them. Yeah, this is a, a hellish result for Swansea, um, who I think are the team at the moment in the championship who are, I think are playing quite well and are just unable to, to convert that into points. Um, Joel Piru missed a couple of big opportunities. Uh, Ryan Manning also uh, with a chance. And um, I think on the basis of the game itself, I mean, McBurney also missed a, a decent opportunity. It was, it was a, a good nil-nil up until um, the, the 93rd minute where um, it was Swansea on the attack, um, committing men forward. And a, a very, very quick counter-attack um, led by Rianne Brewster. Um, and I, I know a lot of fans are calling for a foul on Norton by Brewster. I am not having that at all. Um, Norton was in between the ball over the top, Brewster running onto it. And Norton very clearly tries to, to basically play the man rather than the ball. And he, and he checks his run. He looks over his shoulder, checks his run left to try and block, block uh, Brewster. Norton himself has his arm out as well and um, and Bruce skips the other side of him and uses his strength to get past him and get it get onto the ball before squaring it to Kadra who scores. Uh, definitely not a foul in my opinion. Just a bit of, um, you know, Norton trying to be clever and being being outsmarted by Brewster and outpaced and, out, and outmuscled really. Uh, Bruce, Bruce himself had missed a really good opportunity to make it 1-0. Um, his struggles in front of goal, you know, the McBurney drought spell is broken but um, it'd be good to see Brewster getting on the score sheet himself but but he had a massive part to play which is important and for Kadra his first goal for the club couldn't have come at a better time um, it was genuinely a moment where if I like Swansea were on the attack in there and we're going to have the last kick of the game um, and before they knew it they were they were 1-0 down and, and, and the game was gone A random statistical quirk here is that just looking at who scored and, and these are these are stupid stats that we don't put too much sway in but um 12 shots to 12, 
49.9% possession to 50.1% possession. Both teams with an 81% pass success uh, completion percentage uh, and both teams winning 11 aerials. So uh, in wow. some in some parts of this game, it did feel very level. But that's why, <laughs> you know, Sheffield United edging it. It's the beauty of football, isn't it? That's why it's easy post-game to feel like something special is happening at Sheffield United uh, and and how frustrated Swansea fans must feel at how many leads they're giving away. Um, Blackburn 2, Watford 0. Magnificent Dom Hyam goal. Are we calling it a scorpion Mm. kick? I'm happy to call it a scorpion kick. It was absolutely... Harlan did his best Hyam impression last night. It's kind of... Yeah, well, um... I think think Hyam should win the Pushgas Award. Aesthetically aesthetically sensational. Um, What does it mean? Well, they beat Watford 2-0. It means Blackburn have the lesser spotted, played nine, won five, lost four record. Uh, And another team like QPR, where I must admit, I don't really know what to think of them. I don't really know what to expect of them from this point. And yet... I like them. I find them interesting. I like the squad. I think there's quite a lot of interesting players, lots of them young players with room to develop. I don't think it's a perfect squad by any means, that's for sure. And it's not among the strongest in the league. There's a lot of focus on Britain Diaz throughout August. That can quieten down now for, what, two and a half months until January starts and then it will ramp up again. I think that the discussion about BBD kind of dominates Rovers' discourse. And I think that's a shame because I think they're an interesting team in general. Um, I think the way that they play, particularly the way their front three set up, Diaz, one of them, is is interesting, is a little unusual, not uniform. And that's what I like. They get a lot of shots from high press turnovers. They're quite exciting on the break. But in general build-up and, and in-possession stuff, they've got a lot of room for improvement and, and the numbers certainly reflect that. So another team that have had some below par performances and some good ones. You know, there was a four day period where they got pumped by Sheffield United and Reading three nil in both games, six goals without, without reply outside of that. I think they've kind of been okay. As for Watford, they beat two nil, uh, like good start to the season where they weren't playing very well, but were scoring amazing goals from the halfway line. Turns out it's just turned into not getting wins, not getting results. Um, Now I don't use the word meltdown lightly, but Watford Twitter not having a good few days. What do you reckon? I can see why. I think as a Watford fan, you have to ask yourself, what do you want? Basically, is is the aim get back into the Premier League at all costs this season? Or is the aim to actually go undergo a genuine period of, of, of rebuilding and investing in the coaching talents of a bright young thing? Because if it's the former and... You know that has been the Watford way for the last decade or so. Then, you know it's it's time to get pretty concerned because I struggle to really see this Watford side as being a team who are going to finish in the top two. I think they're still very much capable. Pop, you know, once um, the fitness issues that we've seen plague them over the last few weeks are restored, they can still comfortably finish in the top six. I think, but there was a quite a clear memo from the club when Rob Edwards was appointed that this was a, a shift in culture, similar to what, you know, Chelsea have been saying with Graham Potter. You know, this is a decision to to change the way the club is run, to um, stop the hire and fire nature at the club. Um, and that is going to take time. You know, the, the players, the, the recruitment, I think, has been really poor for a while now. Um, there was a time that the reason why we saw Watford have success, despite the managers coming and going, was because their stranglehold on a, on a part of the European recruitment is very good. Um, I now think they've brought in a lot of players who are not really up to the task. I think when it, when it's Minaj or Bayo playing instead of Pedro and Saar, that is a, an almighty drop-off in terms of quality. 
I also I'm not convinced they have enough quality in centre midfield. Um, I know Chowdhury's come in, um, missed a very good chance against Black, Blackburn, which made me think he must be one of the most one-footed players of all time, given the, the foot that he decided to, to shoot with. Um, but there, there isn't really that that midfield um, general who's going to dominate games, particularly mm. unless you want to call Tom Cleverley that. I'm not convinced beyond a smattering of of top-level talent, and that is Pedro and, and Saar. I'm not convinced this is a side or, or a squad that's necessarily um, good enough. You know, I, I think Rob Edwards doing, doing an okay job wouldn't have them in the top two anyway. So um, I, I personally hope that they don't point the finger at the, the manager. I think that the finger has to be pointed at the way the club is run as a whole and not necessarily in the last six months, but over the last couple of seasons. And that's what's has, what's got to change. Um so we, we, you know, we'll see. I really hope that Edwards is given more of a chance, more of an opportunity to show what he what he's about. I think Edwards being sacked at this point would be a big blow for for League One and League Two managers in mm. general because it would probably um, dissuade many of them to to take the to the clubs to take the the leap of faith um, that that Watford took. Um, and as I say, I, I don't really know what if, if Watford want, wanted someone to come in and immediately take a, a bloated squad. And and turn it into um, you know a, a team who are going to try and get promoted at any cost this season. Steve, I Bruce. don't really think Edwards. Yeah, I don't think Edwards was the man anyway. So, yes, well, yeah, it's it's definitely easy enough to say upon appointing a certain manager that you're going to build a culture. It's quite easy to to build a culture uh, alongside winning or while winning. It's quite difficult, I think, to stick with your cultural plan uh, when you're losing games. So that is the challenge for those in charge of, of Watford. On the pitch, most glaring thing to improve is is how they go about creating chances consistently. They are essentially a bottom eight attack, a bottom quarter attack in terms of XG, which is pretty abominable for a team that comes down from the Premier League as a rule. Uh, now, those players, Pedro and Saar, occasionally elevate that and kind of you know go beyond that. But uh, ultimately, they have to be better as a unit. There are a couple of draws in the champ. Luton and Cov drew 2-2. Entertaining game. Carlton Morris at the double. What form he's in and what a signing he looks to have been for Luton. Um, Gyok being pure Gyok. Uh, missing a one-on-one, then scoring a one-on-one. Showing his pace and power running clear on in transition where he's so dangerous. Uh, and and Hamer as well, scoring a beauty as well. We'd like to see a little more of that from him this season um, to get Kov up and running um, still on just two points from their six games so far. Uh, and Preston and Burnley drew one all as well. This was not a classic, really. Uh, they traded set-piece goals in the first 20, 25 minutes. And that was it, really, uh, after that. So uh, honours, even as they say. Let's move on to, to League One, where we had just two draws out of 12 games. So 10 happy teams. 10 unhappy teams. We'll start with, well, let me tell you about Ipswich 2, Bristol Rovers nil, uh, because Ipswich cruise on with very little fuss. I'll just hit refresh on the stats. Uh, it's 31 games under McKenna, 18 clean sheets, 16 goals conceded, 15 of 17 wins coming to nil. Uh, and I wanted to talk about the the two tens because Connor Chaplin's on fire in front of goal. Harness had a spell early in the season where he scored a couple uh, in the space of a few games. It's eight goals between them. The strikers, whoever's playing up top, they're, they're not prolific at this moment in time. That felt like it might hold it switch back. So far, it hasn't. And that's because of these two tens. I think they've got good players in these roles now. Selena last season, capable of the sublime, the ridiculous, and, and you know, on a different level in terms of creativity and vision, 
in flashes in terms of consistency, in particular in terms of goal threat and pressing uh, and, and dare I say it, sort of team IQ rather than just natural ability. Uh, I think Harness and Chaplin are the ones. And I do think being a 10 in this system has to be, in purely footballing terms, basically the dream role to play. Like if you or I could play for an EFL team and we could pick what position we played, it'd probably be behind the striker for Ipswich because, you know, yeah, do, do a bit of pressing, bit of counter-pressing for sure. You're not doing nothing out of possession, but you're certainly not chasing wing-backs or full-backs up and down the touchline all day. You're, you're mainly pressing, sitting on defensive midfielders or pressing centre-backs. And then in possession, don't worry too much about build-up. You don't have to worry too much about the ball in, in, the, in, in our third or the middle third. Just make sure when we work it into the final third, you are there to combine with wing-backs, to run in behind and try and get on the end of threaded through balls. Or as the case was for Chaplin here, just be ready when we work it to the byline get yourself in a good position for the cutback and smash it in. I, I think it's it's a great system that, that McKenna has created and Chaplin and Harness are enjoying themselves within it. It's the sort of role that all players dream of. I dare say Christian Walton is having quite a good time in goal as well because he just has very little to do. Um, notable for Bristol Rovers really was just the fact they had both centre-backs sent off in the last few minutes of this game. I think Kilgores might get overturned because I'm not sure there was that much contact, but you never really know with these things. Uh, it means they would head into the weekend if he is suspended without any recognised centre-backs, um, apart from Luca Hull, who has played there a bit, but is uh, normally a right-back. Uh, so, George. Hello. Burton nil, Portsmouth 2. Six in a row for Cowley's Pompey. Yeah, dominant again. Burton now under Dino Mamria. Um, I think at the moment it seems to be suggested the job is his for the foreseeable. Um, and, you know, it took Portsmouth a while to break them down. It wasn't a particularly dominant display, um, but we saw individual quality from, from some key signings. I think now looking at, at Portsmouth's um, recruitment this summer, in, in a summer that we know was, was very difficult for, you know, top-end League One clubs um, to go out, especially when you're competing with Sheffield Wednesday and, and Ipswich for a lot of players. Mm. They they box smart and the likes of, you know, Owen Dale, who who got the really good assist for the second goal uh, from from another signing in Colby Bishop, who's started the season brilliantly. Uh, Lowry, Tommy Lowry in centre midfield as well has been class. Michael Morrison's been an absolute rock since coming in, dropping down from the championship. Um, and then, uh, you know, the smattering of loan quality if you're looking at which team won the window in League One, I'd, I'd probably say Portsmouth. Um, I know the Ipswich have obviously done great business, but in terms of, of where they were able to, to recruit from and um, and the hit rate so far, it's been so impressive. I'm, I'm, and having mentioned Marlon Pack as well, it's been um, you know that that midfield general in, in, in the centre of the park. I'd love to know who Pack was celebrating with after the first mm. goal. It looked. I, I wondered briefly if it was a, a ball boy, but then I thought that can't make sense because it was at Burton. It was at the Pirelli where it was certainly um, a, a child, a minor. It was a child. It was a mm. child. Yeah. But he, I mean, Pack basically whips in a ball that's diverted into the um, goal by Sam Hughes, the Burton um, centre back. And it's always a bit awkward, isn't it? Celebrating an own goal. You don't really know what to do. And Pack just charged into the corner and pointed at a little, a little kid in the corner. So well done him. I think that should now be officially the celebration of an own goal. Find the nearest happy kid and give him a high five. Um, let's mm. get that petition set up at Morecambe nil Sheffield Wednesday three um, good win for Sheffield Wednesday. This one was, well, it was nil nil at 70 and three nil at 90. Um, <laughs> and Morecambe had one big chance at nil nil. Kieran Phillips. Huge chance. One-on-one. Kieran Phillips mm. went through and missed a one-on-one. Now 
the flow of the game was still very much one-way traffic um, up to 70 minutes when it was still nil-nil. 22 shots at goal for Wednesday. So it gives you an idea of the flavour of this one, the ebbs and flows of it. Um, but but for Wednesday, it ebbed for 70 before it flowed and then it did. <laughs> uh, Windass broke the door down with a, a flicked header from a Bannon corner. Uh, and then it was one of those great moments where you're watching uh, the highlights and you think <laughs> you think they've made an editing error because uh, you see that goal and then the next highlight is Bannon standing over a set piece in the exact same place. And you think, oh, no, they've they've accidentally put the same goal in twice. But no, uh, just a very similar goal. Byers flicking in a Bannon corner. Be very frustrating for Derek Adams, for any manager, I think, when you're up against it on that front and and the two goals you can see are from set-piece situations. Um, not ideal, but that's the quality of Bannon uh, and the players that Wednesday have. Big Michael Smith with a nice take for his first... Lovely goal. Well, his first Tuesday goal of the season and his first Wednesday goal ever. Well done. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, Wednesday, 3-0 winners at Morecambe, marching onwards. And now, George, MK nil, Bolton 2. From a Bolton perspective, they've tucked away Charlton and then they've tucked away MK Dons. And before that, they lost to Argyle and Sheffield Wednesday. Now, it might be a bit simplistic, but I'm going to use those four results to suggest that that sums up where Bolton are quite nicely. Possibly not yet quite as reliably good as Sheffield Wednesday and Argyle and Ipswich, albeit they did draw with them on opening day, but almost certainly on the next run down. And, and that is definitely a playoff run you know fourth fifth sixth best team in the league it's a good place to be uh, impressive winners here I have to bring up Connor Bradley on loan from Liverpool because it's a classic case of elite Premier League Academy loney joining club you get a few messages about it apparently this lad's class and you think yeah yeah possibly probably to be honest but you know let's wait and see and then the first week or two, they do some really good stuff. And you think, yeah, but you're so young and it's your first loan. So you might start finding, you know, the schedule a bit tough. You might pick up the odd injury now that you're involved in senior football. Connor Bradley's just laughed in the face of, of anything on that front and just continues to put in magnificent performances down the right side for Bolton. His attacking stats, whether it's shots, goals, touches inside the box. I mean, he's, he's got a wonderful role. So attacking in this side, but he's performing it. Brilliantly, he was excellent here again. Um, Charles and, and Gethin Jones with the goals. I, I want to throw to you on MK Dons with a few acronyms. MK, FFS, WTF? I, I was going to ask you, actually, hmm. is there an argument to say that from what we've seen so far this season, MK are the worst team in the league? I think there's probably an argument that Morecambe are worse than them. And it's Okay. Helped by the fact that MK Dons beat them 4-0 at Morecambe. Yes. Burton obviously had would... one point from eight games, which is quite compelling as well. <laughs> They're currently 22nd with seven points from eight games. And yeah, I think you're probably right. Those two teams. But I'd almost argued in in flashes, we've seen more from Burton than we've seen from MK Dons this season, you know, even recently. Um, whereas with MK, every game seems to go in exactly the same way, where they do not create anything and whilst they aren't defensively very like particularly bad they're not good enough to keep the opposition out so the games progress where MK have to basically take one of their very few opportunities and to, the opposition always get enough chances to score the one or two needed to get three points it is 
it's proper kind of check MK for pulse territory at the moment. Um, and I'm not really, you know, Saturday's game uh, away at Oxford is clearly the, a game between the two sides who performed well last season, who have had the biggest drop off. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if it ends nil nil because it's two pretty blunt attacking um, teams going head to head. So in in absence of a betting show, there's there's a free one. Um, unders under one and a half and under under zero point five. Um, yeah, I mean it's the, the team itself looks devoid of any real attacking quality. Um, I guess it's not a massive surprise that they aren't that bad defensively when the, the defensive unit is still well, it's coming in goal still. It's Zach Jules, it's O'Hora and Tucker, who they brought in in the summer. I mean, that is that should be a very, very good defensive unit. But in terms of going forward, um, Will Greek is a player that we know thrives at teams that create chances. They, they, don't, they don't create any chances. Matthew Dennis was brought in in the summer who looks quite lively, but it's a big step up for him. And you can't really expect that he's going to um, immediately step up and perform the way that, that you want him to. Um, Bradley Johnson, we've spoken about um, Devoy, who's coming from Ireland, is now, now starting games. It, it's just a big drop off from where they were. Um, you know, when you think back to the players that they've lost, Twine, player of the season, but even going back to, to Matt O'Reilly, who's now playing Champions League football, um, it, it's not a massive surprise, I guess, that MK have dropped off the way that they have. Um, and I guess for Liam Manning as well, um, a manager who we were so impressed with last season. I don't think he is blameless for this because he he isn't putting out a side who are particularly capable at, at competing in football matches. Um, and I don't have much faith that this is going to change. I don't think this is a bad run. I don't think they're going to come good. I think they look really, really bad. <laughs> Let's go from a negative to a positive, shall we? Because yes. Fleetwood Town went to Peterborough United unfancied as hell and they won 1-0. By and- some. You're feeling probably quite good about this because pre-season we, we we have our collective combined thoughts and based on our own research, sometimes there's a couple of teams that, that individually one of us is feeling um, quite good about and the other one maybe slightly less so. You had a, a great feeling about Fleetwood. Uh, you were you were eating what the Cod Army was selling, that's for sure. Um, and, and here they are, odd, odd record really, two wins, five draws, one defeat. Uh, this certainly a standout performance and result at Posh. Yeah, not important not to get carried away, I guess, given this is their first, sorry, their second win since opening day, um, where they beat Plymouth Argyle 2 1, which in itself, oh, no, that's the second game of the season, but they beat Plymouth Argyle 2 1. Um, but when you're looking at the teams that they've beaten in Peterborough and, and, and Plymouth Argyle, two sides I'm pretty sure will be in the top six or seven in, in, the, in the season. Uh, they also, in the um, Carabao Cup, beat Wigan and then only lost 1 0 to Everton. So you've got a team here who are quite clearly operating at a pretty high level and are able to, um, against better sides, at the very worst, hold their own. Uh, they've drawn a lot of games. Um, they have lost to... Uh, to uh, they haven't lost any other games. They lost to Port Bale on opening day and that's it. Been a lot of draws since then. And and they've had quite a difficult fixture list, including um, Wickham and, and Derby, although they couldn't get past um, Cheltenham or, or Morecambe as well. Now, I think they look to me to be, I mean, they've obviously recruited very well. I like the business that they did. Um, the question mark was around Scott Brown, but in his first managerial appointment, their performances so far suggest to me that he's definitely a positive rather than a negative. Um, they're, I think they've got the fourth highest possession stats in the league so far this season, which is interesting. Solid defensively. Um, no, I don't think they're flashy enough to do a kind of an MK and suddenly come from outside the pack to start challenging the top end. But um, after a couple of years of, of regression, it does feel to me like Fleetwood are back on, a, on an upward path and, and going to Peterborough where 
we know Posh don't lose many games at home, uh, going ahead through Josh Vela early on. Uh, and yeah, they, you know, they came under the cosh, as you'd expect, but we're able to keep Peterborough at bay. Uh, Marriott and Clark Harris at bay that not many teams do. Um, really impressive result from a team that I think could be quite, quite sneaky good. Mm. And their recruitment in the summer looked pleasing to our eyes anyway. It looked like some some quite interesting stuff, some quite good stuff. Mm. You know, the goal was a counter-attack with Callum Morton, Admiral Musque and Carlos Mendes Gomez leading it. Now that is no joke as a front line in League One. I think the goal showed that. You do not want that lot flying at you in transition. Obviously, Vela was mm. the one that finished it off, but it was those three who led the charge. Now, Mendes Gomez and Musque obviously on loan. Uh, Morton, uh, a Fleetwood player. Uh, a couple of their other signings have been pretty good. Josh Earl at centre-back has been, I would go as far as to say, a revelation, really. Yeah. Uh, at left centre-back, you know, having struggled at a higher level as a left wing back who was asked to create a lot of chances and was struggling with that. Well, now he's just a quite a nice lefty ball playing centre-back in League One and, and seems to be thriving. Um, you know, Paddy Lane was a star last season. He's currently coming off the bench. So uh, lots to like. Um, and and all the while, we haven't really mentioned Scott Brown, the manager, because we wanted to sort of give it a bit and see what we thought. I've got a little tidbit of info that I got from one of my moles, which I think you might quite like. Yes. And I, you know I don't reveal my sources, but... I will just present what I was told the other day. Apparently, the training at Fleetwood under Scott Brown is excellent. That's what I heard. Great. Really good to know. Really good sessions, players buzzing off it, and just really, really decent stuff. So, um, good things all round when mm. it comes to Fleetwood Town right now. And just need to see whether those draws are going to turn into wins or defeats until we get uh, more or less excited. Uh, as for Posh, uh, I, I don't really know what's going on. So I'm going to wait until Monday and see how they go this weekend because I'm quite... They're away at Bolton. It could be quite an interesting discussion on Monday because uh, it's five defeats in a row in all comps. Three in the league, one in the pizza, one in the League Cup. Anyway, uh, Lincoln 2, Derby nil. We can file this one under needed this, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a difficult one with, with Lincoln because they've had a very strange start to the season uh, in terms of, of the, the games that they've won. Um, they've beaten a Derby side here 2 0, who um, have had a, a decent start to the season, and we know, um, at least in terms of their squad, have been, have been you know, have a, have a very good squad. They went to Oxford and beat them 2 1 as well. So um, they've only lost uh, two league games so far this season. So, I mean, I wouldn't say, especially given we had them in our relega- relegation zone, uh, I wouldn't say it's been a particularly poor start to the season from Lincoln, but, although they have put in performances at times that have left um, anyone who watched them pretty concerned um good to see jack diamond albeit from the penalty spot get the opening goal uh, a player who i think is a really smart signing i would say i think they made quite a lot of smart signings since we had them um bottom of, of league one uh, jordan garrick being another one uh, i think uh, you know from an offensive point of view they look like a, a different proposition to that uh when we looked to the squad um back in in kind of july time um and you know we had a couple of reports that lincoln were good value for the win uh, winning 2-0 but from what I saw from watching the extended highlights um, you know, Derby had plenty of chances to get their, to, to get themselves back into the game and make it one all. Um, so but to be expected look when you're a Lincoln and you're hosting Derby County um, and you win you win a game 2-0 it, it's unlikely you're going to be able to completely shut the opposition out and you know they did well to, to, to stay ahead and then and get that all important second goal as well so um, yeah a massive win for them and, and you know showing I think the bottom end of League One, we're learning a lot about who is going to be down there and who is going to be okay. And I think mm. Lincoln are, are, are suggesting they might be all right. Yeah, I think I'm 
possibly not quite as positive on them. Partly just because the nature of their two wins so far, one in front of our eyes against Oxford and one here against Derby, they're slightly different. They definitely deserve to win against Oxford. Tuesday night, I don't really know how to frame it. I mean, I thought the penalty was really soft. And at 1-0, it seemed like Derby did everything but score, including two mm. disallowed. Um, one great save from Rushworth. Uh, Derby still, by the way, haven't scored a goal away from home this season, which is not ideal. But it's kind of like, how sustainable are those wins that we've seen so far? Possibly not very. What's more important is that they start playing better and winning against the team's around them, so to speak. For example, Bristol Rovers on Saturday. So there we go. Let's see when we talk about Lincoln on Monday, whether we're talking about a good, uh, a good strong performance and win against Bristol Rovers or, or a concerning one. Um, certainly concerns for Derby away from home. Uh, what about Shrewsbury 3, Exeter 2? I don't think anyone saw this coming, this being five goals in a match involving Shrewsbury Town and particularly <laughs> them coming roaring back from 2-0 down and, and winning this one. 3-2. I gather from our social media timeline yesterday that you need to apologise to Steve Cottrell and Shrewsbury because after they'd scored two goals in five games, <laughs> you said, suggested that wasn't great. But now it's eight goals in eight games, mate. So what have you got to say about Brazil 1970? Well, <laughs> what, I find, what I find weird is, is that you can, the notion of, of saying that a team weren't playing well and then they start to play well. It's as if like, ah, you were wrong. It's like, well, no, it doesn't change the fact that you weren't very good to start with. Like, you know, that there, there wasn't some kind of great process here. And also, you know, the issue with tweeting clips on social media is that for people who don't listen to the podcast, they didn't hear me talking about how great the, the Bayless Shipley goal against Forest Green was the other week. So, mm. you know, but yeah, I was, I, I guess, I was a bit surprised after getting a message or two about about Shrewsbury's attacking football that that all three goals came from set pieces, effectively. Two from corners, uh, one from from a long throw. They they absolutely count. I'm not taking anything away from them, and, and especially the, the Bayless finish was was full of quality. Uh, when you are two 0 down at, after 20 minutes at home, um, the game plan does have to also have to go somewhere out the window. You can't continue to shut up shop when you're losing the game. You've got to come out and play out of your shell a bit. Um, I think having Shipley and Bayless playing as kind of two two tens behind the striker works. Um, you know they are. Two technically very gifted players. Uh, I said since the summer, you know, I've, I've, I've as an Oxford fan, I'd have been pretty happy to see us sign both of them. Um, impressive bits of business, and I wasn't necessarily sure that Cotterill was the man to get the best out of both of them. But they have looked much better in the last couple of games. And um, yeah, for Shrewsbury, I, I had a look yesterday, and they're, you know, they've played a couple of difficult games already this season. But the the, the fixture list is is pretty positive in the next few weeks. Um, in terms of, you know, they've just come off the back of playing you know, by all means a very good side um, and, and this is a massive win for them uh, and, and a good 3-2 win. Um, but there's no reason why that that this run shouldn't continue having having one two on the chop and they go to Port Vale next up and then host Burton, then go to Ch- Cheltenham and then host uh, MK Don. So you're looking at, at sides there who have either just been promoted out of out of um, out of the, the league below or teams who started the season very poorly. So the good teams, the good times should keep rolling for for shrews but i'm i'm definitely not anticipating they're going to become a a liquid football uh, team in the process it'll be what we come to expect from them though they should be pretty resolute and solid defensively and, mm. and they do have the attack players to to do something when they do broach the final third i'd say tom bayless is is probably their most liquid footballer and it's great to see him consistently starting football matches in the efl because that a bit of a sort of blank spot in his CV those few years at mm. Preston where he just was not involved whatsoever I'm not sure if I've ever really 
heard the definitive reason or reasons why, but dropping down a level, uh, finding a home, finding some starts, playing really well uh, and did very, very well in this game, picking the ball up in, in good areas and little pockets. He can carry it, uh, combines well with his teammates, scored a good goal too. So uh, good stuff. Uh, what about yeah, Cheltenham 2, Cambridge 1? This can also be filed under needed this. Wade Elliott and Cheltenham coming from behind to beat Cambridge. Uh, both teams had a May score a goal. Adam May scored for Cambridge. Alfie May, the winner for Cheltenham. That goal made him Cheltenham's all-time leading EFL goalscorer with 40 goals. Uh, May and Cheltenham has, have been a, a great story, a match made in heaven, really. Uh, and uh, it was a, a valuable winning goal for him. But my eye was caught with another seriously quality goal from Dan Lundulu, who's always Unbelievable been... goal, wasn't it? He's always been a great friend of the pod, or at least since the start of last season anyway. Apple of my eye. Already has one more goal this season than he scored in uh, in 20-odd games last season in League One. Uh, and the goals he scores, quality goals. One to keep an eye on, Dan Lundulu. Um, him and Alfie May, if they, could, if they could both be fit and firing at the same time, could put Cheltenham into being quite an interesting prospect. Um, anyway, needed that win. Uh, two 1-0 wins, 1-0 wins to finish. George Argyle beat Oxford 1-0. Now, this was your nap on the betting show. You got it right. You had a pretty clear idea how this would go. Uh, did it follow that script? Yeah, for the most part. Um, Argyle, good value for their win. Um, the goal, again, coming from a, a, a kind of low XG um, shot from range that, you know, I think so many sort of probably feel like he could have done better with, um, but they were good value for the win. Um, the only gripe that Oxford fans can have is that Carl Joseph managed to steer the ball onto the onto the bar from a kind of a stretch stretched leg open goal from a few yards out, which would have leveled the game at one all, but it wouldn't have been deserved. Um, Plymouth Argyle caused Oxford a lot of problems, mainly from set pieces, but you know that um, I'm not on the balance of play. Um, yeah. Could, could have been more than just the one. So um, yeah, again, really concerning times for Oxford who look fine at the back, but, but just a very, very poor attacking team as it stands. What's the opposite of concerning? Um, exciting. Exciting. I, I guess so. Something like that. Yeah. I was trying to Google search as I asked it, but it didn't load quick enough. What's the antonym of concern? Excite. Excite. Let's go with that. That's what's happening at Argyle. And rightly so. We're going to talk more about them in the future weeks. I've no doubt about that. Wickham beat Accrington 1-0. Uh, it was a nice McCarthy goal that got them ahead. A nice pass through from Scowen. Uh, Wickham were then subject to the usual Accrington inaccurate artillery. Uh, 17 shots for Aki. Uh, not many of them troubling the Wickham goal. There was one good chance for Wally that was saved well by Strychek. Um, But Wickham got the job done. And I think a fairly low-key start for Wickham. Um, I think it felt a little like they, whether by bad luck or design, um, had a, a slow first few weeks as they hadn't fully built their squad necessarily or got the odd player in that they needed, Strychek being one of them. Um, but they're now in a little batch outside the playoffs. Uh, there's a long time to go and and I think they'll probably keep improving slowly. As for Aki, I think the accepted analysis pre-season was, well, they just always start well under Joel Coleman. They get well clear of it. And then they basically put the slippers on, get a cigar out and chill for the second half of the season. Our worry was always, what if they don't start well? What will that look like and how will they respond? Well, that's the case now. So that's what we'll have to keep an eye on. Seven points from eight games for Aki. Just the one win. Like last season, loads of shots. 
not many goals uh, and pretty consistently poor defending as well. So uh, work to do for John Coleman, a bit more than he normally has to do at this stage of the season where they're normally punching well above their weight. Uh, what about in League Two? Punching above their weight, Barrow, 2-0 winners against Doncaster. They're flying. Sixth win of the season in eight games. This was the first one by more than one goal. I think it's probably their uh, best performance, most impressive yeah. win of the season. Donny did not have a shot in the second half here. Barrow went in 1-0 up in the lead. And in the second half, Barrow took 12 shots to Doncaster's zero. Now, you could look at it from a Donny perspective as being completely unacceptable. I'm going to focus on the Barrow side. That's an absolute shellacking. And that, purely from a statistical point of view, that doesn't happen in 95% of EFL games between two teams that shouldn't have too much between them where one side goes in ahead at halftime. That doesn't happen. So I'm calling it a management masterclass from Pete Wilde, both on the night and all season so far. Out of possession, they're so impressive. Um, when you consider that, Barrow have been ahead in matches for just under 50% of the whole season. Only Orient have spent more time leading. So just under 50% of the time they've been defending leads. And for the most part, they've done it really well. Um, they're just very unfazed, out of possession, very comfortable. They've got the midfield of Neil, Foley and Gotts winning tackles. They've got Canavan at the back winning headers and McClelland, really good defensive instincts sweeping up alongside him. So uh, really impressive, out of possession and in it. Whitfield continues to be the star. Three goals and five assists in his eight games so far this season. And they picked him up from Stockport, who, who didn't need him, didn't fancy him. We're happy to let him go. I think um, from what I've heard from the non-league experts, particularly Ryan in NTT 20 squad, Whitfield, quality at Torquay, and then just pure fitness issues for, for 18 months or so until the summer. But no fitness issues right now. No issues of quality either. Looking like an inspired signing Whitfield and uh, and those who were very bullish about Barrow preseason, probably feeling quite excited about it, George, eh? Yes, I am. Well, where should we go to next? Um, let's go to uh, Wimbledon nil, Northampton 2. My brother was at this one, and his main takeaway was the Wimbledon goalkeeper is a real problem. Now, if you watch the first goal here that Northampton scored, it's very difficult to understand how Nick Zanev lets that ball into his goal. Uh, I can't accurately describe it. I've watched it. it so many times <laughs> to try and work it out. My, I mean, my guess, from where I'm looking, I think Guthrie heads it to the far corner mm. and Zanev starts to move that way and it ricochets off the standing foot of one of the many Wimbledon defenders standing kind of mm. in the box and then diverts across Zanev into the other corner. I think that's maybe my read. a little, maybe a slip of his standing leg as well, just a little yeah. slippage. It was very wet. It was very wet. Mm. Anyway, uh, looks very shot of confidence, said my mole, my my brotherly mole. Um, at first, at fault for the first goal, and nearly handed one uh, before that when passing out from the back. Now they have picked up Will Yaskalainen on a short term contract last week, which suggests, and that was before this game, suggests that there were concerns from within the club already about the goalkeeping situation, about Zanev's confidence. Yaskalainen, the fact that he was still out of contract without a league club in mid-September suggests that there weren't that many teams who thought he was the answer to, to their goalkeeping uh, questions uh, after a few years at Crew, where, um, frankly, 
goalkeeping had been an issue at crew, whether it was Richards in goal or Yaskalainen in goal. So um, lots of questions for Johnny Jackson, Wimbledon to answer at the moment. Fans not particularly happy with what they're seeing. As for Cobblers, uh, Tim Hansen, who's a Wimbledon fan who was there, said they looked like a well-drilled, unified team who all knew their jobs and had some quality individuals as well. Whereas Wimbledon, a few talented individuals, but at present look a mile off being a decent team. Uh, let's give some love to a team who won their first match of the season, George Crawley, beating Stockport 3-2. Uh, it's a game and a scoreline that didn't make a lot of sense when we saw it come in on Tuesday night. Doesn't make a lot of sense looking at the highlights. Doesn't make a lot of sense looking at the stats. No, uh, after speaking to Preston Johnson on this pod a couple of weeks ago, um, you know we know how data-driven they are. We know that they've appointed uh, a senior member from Statsbomb as their um, director of football. Um, and you can't teach having five shots in a game and scoring three of them, can you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, a massive win. No question of that. It's a huge three points. It's big to score three goals in front of their fans. For Kevin Betsy, for Wagme United, for everybody, this was a, an incredibly significant result. Um, but it wasn't deserved. It was um, one of those, every team is going to have them, where everything just goes in on the day. I would assume that Preston and the rest of Crawley hierarchy would say that they've been on the receiving end of some bad luck so far this season maybe that's true um but they they still look to me to be a side who who are, are really struggling to to become anything of an attacking force but you never know you mean these are, there are a lot of young players in this side um just getting some points on the board getting their first win might do uh, a, a lot for them uh, especially in terms of buying into what Kevin Betsy's trying to do so this could certainly be a catalyst for something but um I would say this is a significant result that we shouldn't read too much into, both in terms of, of Stockport County's quality and also Crawley going forward. I certainly concur on Stockport. I think they might be wondering what on earth is going on in this league. Um, I think they just need to stay calm and keep going, really. I, I certainly think they're better than seven points from eight games suggests. Um Possibly not as good as advertised <laughs> pre-season, uh, where <laughs> you know many had them winning the title. We sort of bought into it and, and had them top three. Um, long way to go, but quite far off that at this moment in time. A uh, couple of 1-0 away wins at the top of this division, George. Uh, Orient went to Rochdale and won 1-0. Now, for 90 minutes, there was no doubting that 1-0 would have been the correct scoreline. Orient scored a, a brilliant goal in the first half, played some great stuff. Uh, George Moncur beautifully taken after some some good one-twos, uh, some good one-touch passing and a great finish. And from what I saw, it looks like they were seeing it out fairly comfortably until Lawrence Vigaru, who must have taken Brees Samba's crown as the EFL's number one box office goalkeeper. He decided to make it interesting, not for the first time this season. Um, getting a bit bored back there. Thought a 1-0 win was just a bit dull. Came flying out of his goal, clattered a Rochdale attacker to concede an injury time pen only to save it from Scott Quigley, just because he can. Now, Viggs has now saved eight of 19 penalties he's faced in a in a Leighton Orient shirt uh, per <laughs> Brendan Pitcher. That's a 42% save rate, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and it's not even the first time this season. Did the exact same thing against Mansfield, albeit towards the start of the game. Came out a goal, gave away a pen, and then saved it. So... Uh, of all the many wonderful early season Leighton Orient storylines and all the brilliant attacking players that we've spoken about a lot, like Smith, Monker, Archibald, uh, Viggs is is still doing his best to to stay on the lips of EFL observers. Uh, and Harrogate nil, Salford 1. 
George Salford's second injury time winner of the season. They are accumulating points pretty well. Yeah, dramatic way to do it. Um, maybe a bit fortuitous in terms of the actual game itself. It was a, it was a great game. Um, you know, I'm not saying that they, they didn't deserve the win, but Harrogate looked to have some of the better chances uh, in terms of the, the in the 90 itself. Um, to be fizzling out into a, a nil-nil draw. Um, but Matty Lund uh, with a header, I don't think he scores many headers, um, getting the the very, very late winner in, in the 93rd minute. It's been a decent start for Salford. Um, I think they look fairly good, although it was quite concerning seeing how how easily uh, Harrogate were able to, to kind of cut through them. Um but we know that Harrogate are a team, even at their worst, who do create chances. So, so maybe nothing to be too concerned about. Um, Hendry uh, had a decent chance at nil-nil as well for, for Salford to put them uh, ahead. But yeah, a, a big a big uh, goal for, for London and for Elliot Watt, who got the, the assist, a player that I have always been a big fan of, who I was convinced um, could have played above uh, League uh, 2 for a possession-based team. He's now playing for a team who likes to keep the ball and he's, and he's flourishing as well. So, so good to see. Yeah, Neil Woods, Salford City are the possession team in League Two. 64.3% possession on average. Uh, Bradford next with 59.4. So almost 5% difference, which is pretty chunky. Um, then you've got Bradford, Mansfield, Swindon and Orient. Those are kind of the teams who who stand out on that front as wanting to have the ball and do something with it. Uh, good win for Salford. Uh, and a good win for Stevenage as well. 1-0 winners at home to Newport. What a hit. What a hit from Alex Gilby. I think we made reference to the fact that one of the consequences of Stevenage's very strong start to the season would be Steve Evans would find it easier to persuade the chairman just to coax one or two more signings out of him because he loves buying football players. Um, the most eye-catching around deadline day was Alex Gilby from Charlton, the player we've seen play in midfield for MK, for Charlton the last three seasons or so in League One and, and at times looked very, very good. Uh, no surprise then to see him curl home a beauty to win this game early in the second half for Stevenage, who, as discussed, just have a, a lot of options in their squad, uh, a lot of difference makers off the bench. They've needed them in some games. They didn't need them here because uh, Newport, from the moment Stevenage went ahead, had just two attempts in 40 minutes. One of them was Matt Dolan shooting from the halfway line. I think he was just a bit bored, a bit fed up, straight into the keeper's hands. Uh, and then a wayward one, 89th minute from right side of the box, was never going in from that angle. So Stephen is just, just easily winning League Two football matches. Uh, it couldn't really be going any better. They are they are squashing games. Steve Evans and Idge are just sitting on yes. football matches. It's a very effective method, it turns out, of winning them. Uh, and George, Sunder Sunderland? Swindon, 3-2 against Sutton. A thriller. Yeah, a um, a massive, again, last-minute goal for Swindon, uh, whose season hasn't started necessarily the way that they wanted it to. Um, coming up against the Sutton side have been so impressive so far this season. And uh, Sutton um, taking the lead early, uh, being pegged back to 2-1, to um, with Shaden Williams going getting too quick for our goals before half-time, and then Will Randall with making it 2-all. And the, kind of the whole of the second half played with the two teams level at 2-2 two -two, um, in what was a, a pretty end-to-end -end game, both teams having chances to win it. Um, but a dramatic late show from, from Wakeling, Jacob Wakeling, who came off the bench to score um, his third goal of the season. He's definitely been the standout player that, that Swindon have brought in so far uh, of their very young recruitment plan in the summer. Um, and yeah, a, a big win for them that just... Put Sam now nicely into mid-table after what was a uh, 
a big summer of change, um, you know, to go and beat a team in, in Sutton who, well, Swindon fans would anticipate they should beat Sutton. Uh, Sutton have made a very good start to the season and were a good side last in the last campaign as well. So significant both in terms of of, of how it happened and uh, where it happened and, and and who it happened against. That's a lot of significance. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I, I mean, I genuinely, they're a team who I thought, and, you know, I think both of us were quite fearful for where Swindon could end up this season because, um, you know, last last campaign was so good, but pretty much every single um, protagonist of last season, behind the scenes, management, playing-wise, apart from Louis Reed, um, you know, and, and Gladwin have moved on. So, and, and have been replaced by, by people who basically don't have the experience to those who've, who've gone before them. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think this this was a, a, a big result for Swindon and their fans. Some generosity from uh, Sutton's goalkeeper, Rose, for the first goal, just slipping through his legs. Uh, and then some comedy defending in the second goal as well. I think there was a real sort of Keystone Cops element to Sutton clearing it onto their own defender and then uh, the finish nicely taken by Johnny Williams, who had a cracking game. Uh, Johnny Williams called up to the Wales squad. Seems likely that he will be a League Two player in Qatar at the World Cup, along with Chris Gunter uh, and maybe one or two others. I haven't done my full research yet across all of the leagues. Um, it definitely raises eyebrows, probably more so the Gunter inclusion than the Williams one. I think ultimately, for those who are confused, uh, what I gather from Welsh football fans is that um, Gunter particularly and Williams to uh, a similar extent are there as much for their leadership qualities for what they do for the atmosphere within the camp uh, as they are for uh, what they're expected to do on the pitch, shall we say. So, um, you know, Williams certainly has shown in League Two since the start of last season and in flashes this season that he he has a lot of quality and, and performances like that show it. Um, Gunter, perhaps less so, has not been uh, a hugely high performer for Wimbledon this season. Uh, and finally, Bradford went to Tranmere and won 2-1 uh, to Andy Cook, headers at the club where he scored so many goals, uh, muted celebrations for the first one at least. Uh, Bradford, I'm going to say they're cruising at the moment, George. I don't necessarily mean like they're cruising as in they're finding it very easy. I think they're, they are cruising and I want to know what gear they're in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I think, yes. I think excellent defensive numbers overall I don't think I know that's that's objective fact I think <laughs> some pretty good performances some games where finishings let them down and some games where sloppy defendings let them down um, so my big question is you know what gear are you in and how many more have you got to move through because I think the foundations are there and I think that more strongly than I have in previous seasons um, in terms of the average performance level certainly in terms of the, the, the level of player that they can you know, that Hughes can bring off the bench. Apparently Tyreek Wright was brilliant here. So I think there's a good chance they could go on a run at some point. I'm just not sure if it's just yet. I think they've still got some things to iron out uh, and some tricky games coming up against Stevenage and Salford uh, looming large in the next month. Uh, as for Tranmere, they're just not good enough. No. I think no two really ways poor. about it at this point. Just not good enough. Yeah, it's... it's nothing we haven't said before already on this show um they are um not playing well there, there doesn't seem to be enough quality in the squad itself um mickey mellon has not looked like a particularly innovative manager uh in the, in the second spell at tranmere um i don't see any way that they're going to be able to to mix it with the likes of Leighton orient um 
you know, even Bradford, Mansfield, Stevenage, the, the best sides we've seen so far this season. Um, it's uh, yeah, troubling times for for Tranmere, who are always going to be a team at League Two level, have aspirations of of getting promotion, but they they look miles off it at the moment, and and calling for their fans to see their old striker Andy Cook mm. scoring twice against them. How they could do with with him in their side. Four draws in League Two in midweek to finish us off. Uh, Mansfield nil, Carlisle nil. Perhaps somewhat surprisingly, it was Carlisle with the game's biggest chances, two of them that they squandered, not for the first time this season. Walsall won all at home to Colchester United. Hartlepool won all against Crew. And lastly, George, six, maybe seven hours combined in the car we had. Um, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, up to Grimsby, back from Grimsby, only for the game to finish 1-1. And for me to say to you with 20 minutes left, probably, ordinarily, wouldn't even mention this on the podcast. Did you have any key takeaways from that game, given we did make the trip? Not really. It was felt like we were going to get quite a good game when it was one all after 10 minutes. And then um, not much else happened after that. Uh, neither team created a great deal. I thought Grimsby were, were fairly good out of possession, as we, you'd expect from a Paul Hurst side, but lack quality in it. You did not enjoy uh, Gavin Holohan's performance in centre midfield, it's fair to say. Mm. Um, you know, Keenan was was fairly lively without much of an end product. Um, I would say on the um, playing kind of on the on the right hand side for, for Grimsby. Um, Hunt was the one player who came on. I mean, he didn't do a great deal, Alex Hunt, but we know he's got a big reputation. And you could see from just a couple of isolated moments, a couple of isolated touches, that he's a player who um, looks to be technically a, a, cut, a cut above maybe his teammates. Um, so I'm excited to see how he gets on for the rest of the campaign. Mm. For Gillingham, um, they scored two disallowed goals. They may feel like um, that means that they were kind of the, the closer side to, to winning, but it was a, a game of pretty low quality. And um, yeah, I'm not overly... Uh, positive about about Jills. Um, although, I mean, it's fair to say that they didn't look as bad as the side who only scored one and seven before the game. No further questions, Your Honour. And brief, uh, a midweek recap roundup. It's it's much higher difficulty EFL podcasting than the Monday pod normally is because less time to reflect um, and a lot of travelling already in the last 48 hours. But we did it. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we hope you've uh, appreciated and enjoyed the mirrored week flip reverse week on the not the top 20 pod um we will be back with normal service resuming with a monday pod on monday and a betting show next thursday in their usual order uh, i'm afraid we won't be putting out a betting show for this weekend's efl action uh, but normal service resuming next week huge thank you to betfair for their continued sponsorship of this podcast and their support of it since the start of last season it's hugely appreciated and allows us to do stuff like drive to Grimsby in midweek because we can focus on covering the EFL as we like to, as best we can. I hope you're enjoying the pod this season. Make sure you're sharing it if you are. Make sure you're subscribed and we'll chat again early next week. Go out. Well.